welcome, welcome to the second episode of The Breakout, a podcast all about dynasty football, all about strategy in dynasty football, and all about making sure that your team reaches the promised land in fantasy. I'm your host, Abhi Gupta, and this is my co-host, Leo Xia. We're in the midst of fantasy football season, folks, which, uh, which means that a lot of you are in the playoffs as we're recording this, but it also means that a lot of you aren't. And there are a lot of different moves that people made in order to position themselves to be successful this year. But did all of them pay off? In today's episode, we're going to take a look at some of the moves that people in our fantasy leagues made and whether or not those strategies paid off. Yeah, thanks, Abby. So let's jump straight into the first trade that really defined the season for one of the teams in our leagues. And we'll put that trade up on the screen right now. And our goal for this is to kind of provide a perspective of the moves a rebuilding team would make versus a moves a potential contender might make uh, when trying to make a playoff push. So let's go into this trade right now. Um, Abi, you you were mm-hmm. actually on the receiving end of a couple of draft picks for Alvin Kamara. Do you want to talk about yeah. um, the kind of situations that you were in and maybe Dustin was in? Sure. So to give you context, uh, this is in a super flex league, um, 12 team, half PPR, tight end premium. Um, and this was the first league uh, that I ever played Dynasty in. Um, so to give you context on that, that means that I wasn't very good. I was coming in with a redraft mindset. And uh, let's just say that I made some, in hindsight, horrible trades, uh, moving Stefan Diggs, moving AJ Brown, um, if I hadn't made those moves, who knows what my team would look like this year. Um, but given that I made some moves that weren't great, um, it was time for me to really take a hard look at my team and assess whether or not uh, it was in position to win. And, you know, my team was the fourth worst team last year. Uh, and with my initial picks, I po- uh, picked up uh, Jonathan Taylor and CeeDee Lamb. Um, but you know, even with Alvin Kamara on my team, um, putting up 30 points a game, I was barely cracking 70 points a week. So what good would the RB1 or the potentially RB1 uh, of the fantasy football season do on my team? By the time that I'm competing, Kamara is probably not going to be in his prime, Um, which means that my window to move him as a 25-year-old receiving back with Drew Brees potentially retiring at the end of this year, um, now, now is the definitely the time to move him. And I had already acquired a pick from you, Leo, um, last year, where I moved Ryan Tannehill for a 2021 first-round pick alongside my first-round pick. Um, and I figured, you know, now's the time to overhaul with youth. I have a bunch of young assets from the previous year, and I should move forward aiming to add as much youth and new talent to my team uh, because the the current composition wasn't good enough. Cool, yeah. And I can kind of describe Dustin's situation. He was a team mm-hmm. that was arguably one piece away from making a playoff push. Uh, he didn't really have any running backs, um, but he had a good, solid wide receiver core. He had a good, solid quarterback rotation. And, you know, I, I think it's pretty common that we see a lot of teams, they, they feel like they're one piece away from winning. If, if he acquires Alvin Kamara, maybe Alvin Kamara scores enough points to kind of give him a floor for his running back position. 
Um, so Dustin was a team that had the first overall pick last year. He drafted Joe Burrow. So he had Deshaun Watson, Joe Burrow, Ben Roethlisberger, and Teddy Bridgewater. He, he had a pretty good rotation. And his only other running back was David Montgomery. And we can put a, a screenshot of Dustin's team onto the screen here. So going into it, his perspective is like, okay, I'll kind of mortgage my future a little bit. I'll draft uh, or I'll, I'll trade for Alvin Kamara. And, you know, the playoffs, you go in at go in like one week at a time. If you can get lucky for three weeks in a row, then you can win a championship. Um, there's so high variance in the playoffs that uh, all you have to do is just have a couple of really high-scoring Alvin Kamara games, and there it is. So definitely a move that made sense for him given his situation in going through the middle of the year. Yeah, definitely. That that makes sense too because, you know, if you look at the team that Dustin's compiled, he's got a bunch of studs that are kind of, you know, at this point you know what they're going to give you and they are producing that value. With the first overall pick getting Joe Burrow, he has a uh, a baseline number of points that you can expect. And with Alvin Kamara performing the way that he did um, for the first three weeks, uh, which is around the time where we made this trade, um, this would be giving his team a lot of stability because Alvin Kamara was reliably putting up 20 points a game. Um, and assuming you want to make a playoff push, uh, it, it really did seem like Alvin Kamara was someone who would provide you a lot of stability on that ship. So I, I kind of want to dive into the value that you sold him for. One part mm -hmm. of a good rebuilding process is to not sell your players for too cheap. But um, a team that is making a playoff push is probably not going to trade you that many assets, you know, like an extreme yeah. amount of assets. So how did you value Kamara at around two first round picks? Sure. Well, I think first and foremost, in order to gauge what you can practically get for a player, you need to understand what the market looks like in your own league. Um, and in the two leagues that you and I play in, Leo, uh, we have vastly different markets. Um, in the league where we talked about the AJ Brown trade last week, um, people are moving picks just for fun. I mean, <laughs> picks are moving left and right, no matter what. People are trying to get what they can at whatever cost. Um, but in Champions, um, the league that you created, Leo, um, I, I would say people are a little bit more stingy. Um, people are nickel and diming and making sure that they get as close to whatever the true value is um, in comparison to other leagues. And that's no knock on champions, but it is important to know that coming into trade talks, um, knowing that people want to get fair value for what they are giving up um, means that you can't ask for something ridiculous. I can't say, hey, um, Dustin, give me DK for two thirds. Like that's not happening, right? If I'm going to come to Dustin for DK, I would need to ask him for something reasonable, right? I would need to offer him two firsts at least in order to get the discussion started. And so when I was trying to move Kamara, I had that in mind that, you know, I would probably be lucky to get three firsts, even though I think that's what he Alvin Kamara is worth right now to a team that's aspiring to win the championship. Um, you know, uh, getting somewhere between two firsts and three firsts sounds about right. 
Um, and, you know, when I was taking a look at other deals um, that happened, you know, in the history of this league, I think the most that had ever been moved in one deal was the Zeke for a first and Will Fuller. So there was no draft or sorry, no trade that had occurred where multiple firsts were ever moved. Yeah, you bring up a really important point is that you really have to look at the economy of your own league and make offers that align with the current market. Um, Otherwise, it's really hard to get trade talks even started. Um, I think a really important thing that um, a lot of people forget because they see advice on the internet is that people on the internet always say, oh, you know, start start low, start your offer low. Um, And then, you know, they'll counter and you'll build up like you'll you'll reach some middle point, right? I don't think that's necessarily true all the time. I think you have to make a reasonable offer. If you if you start too low, uh, you're probably not even going to get the trade discussion started. So starting with a reasonable offer, maybe a slightly lower than what you think, is a decent way to get those talks started. And and the really interesting part about this too is that like when you look at a top five player for a given position. Um, there isn't a lot of room to haggle either, right? Like, you know, if I'm coming to you for Carson Wentz, let's say, um, Carson Wentz is a player that um, has a really, really large value window based on how you value him and what you think of his situation, where he could end up, whether he has talent. But when you look at someone like DK, when you look at someone like uh, Alvin Kamara, you look at someone like George Kittle, you know what they are, you know what they're going to produce, and you kind of know what the minimum is you have to pay for them. Um, And so that actually makes trade talks a lot easier. Um, So, you know, when I began these trade talks with um, Dustin and with, I think, several other people in the league, um, I began at three first and I said, are you... Or does that sound reasonable to you? If someone is wincing or shutting off trade talks at three firsts, I probably am not going to get a deal done with you. But if you say, hey, that sounds reasonable, but I'm not willing to pay that, um, let's talk further, that's probably going to lead to more productive discussion. And so it, it you know, I, I did start off high at the high end value that I think people were going to pay, but nothing too unreasonable. Right. That's a good point that if you wanted to keep the conversation going, most you, you kind of acknowledge that most people either set their price high or they're trying to buy low. Um, you have to keep the communication going. Uh, otherwise, if someone just kind of ghosts you or you ghost them, uh, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to get a deal done when there's no communication. Yeah. Agreed. And, you know, what's really interesting about this, too, is that, you know, Dustin wasn't the only one I was talking to. Um, There were several different people um, who were interested in Camara. I mean, when you have a top tier player on the market, like it's not just that, you know, do I want to acquire this person or not? It's also like if I don't acquire this player, who is going to get him? Right. Like maybe it's worth me spending a little extra to make sure that the, the other player that is competing against me. Uh, isn't going to get that player. Um, And honestly, with the teams that I was talking with, that's what it seemed like. Uh, You know, there was a lot of feeling out, should I make the trade? Should I not make the trade? This might be a little bit too much, whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, Ultimately, you know, what ended up happening with Dustin is he said, hey, I think three firsts is fine. Um, But 
ultimately I'm not willing to give up that much. I was the I was the worst team in the league last year. You can't honestly expect me to give up three firsts. Like I know what it's like to be stuck, you know, and not and not be good. So can you find something that's a middle ground? And eventually my price came down uh, to two firsts and a third. I said, you know what? That's fine. I want three players out of this. Um, and he said, well, I think picks are super important to me. So if you can, th- you know, throw me another pick and the pick is, you know, a fourth round pick, I will, I- I'm good with the deal. And I said, you know what? There is absolutely no point in me shutting down this deal for a fourth round pick like at that point i'd be nickel and diming so if someone is asking me to make a deal and the contingency point is a late round pick and the 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 meat of the contract or, or sorry the meat of the deal is alvin Kamara in two first you don't want to give up on that because you know you don't think you get exact value right it sounds like you got the deal done because both sides were willing to kind of communicate their different like needs um and you're open to the discussion uh and you're willing to make a trade um i think a a part of it is a lot of teams may feel like if i make this trade that is mortgaging my future like i'm giving away two firsts um that's a huge deal and i'm scared to make this trade i'm scared to make it happen like what happens if it doesn't work out. You know, what happens if I don't make the playoffs? Um, and a huge part of that is, you know, you're trading for Alvin Kamara, um, but he's still worth two firsts. Like, let's say you lose the, you don't make the playoffs, you go into next season with no first round picks, you can still move him. He's still worth the relatively the same amount as he was when you traded him. You, your assets don't decrease. It, it, yeah. Ideally they stay the same. You know, the the assumption is that I get a player and that, you know, whatever I spent on that player is gone, right? Mm-hmm. And there's no other movement. But I kind of think about it like Leo, you might be able to relate to this in home buying. Just because I've bought a home and now I've put in all of this capital into owning this property doesn't mean that that capital stays fixed. I can still sell the home and either recoup some of the money that I spent or actually end up getting more. Um, and so, you know, the, I think the beautiful part of Dustin's strategy here is that his team is young, right? So he doesn't need to replace anybody in the near future. So in that way, having Deshaun and, and um, Joe Burrow as his QBs and having, I think you said David Montgomery and now Alvin Kamara, uh, and I think you said uh, he had DK and, and some other um, wide receiver, you know, that's a really young core. That's a really solid core. And he's not going to miss, you know, any big ticket windows by giving up two firsts. The only window he'd be missing out on is reaching the playoffs and potentially, you know, having Joe Burrow hit his prime and him not having enough uh, talent on his team in order to solidify on that window. For sure. Yeah, I, I kind of want to discuss, you know, after after this trade happened also. Um, now that we're kind of into the playoffs, uh, we know that Dustin has missed the playoffs with this trade. So talk talk mm-hmm. us through like do you, do you think he won the trade? Do you think uh, Dustin lost out on the trade? Do you think he should have made the trade in the first place? Well, um, I think I'm definitely intrigued that he was the one who made the trade. Um, I think that there were a lot more teams that um, you know had that were a lot more devoid of talent 
considering that Dustin's team is super young, um, uh, of course, I just made the argument that him trading away his picks makes sense. But if I were him personally, I probably would have kept the picks and just continued to draft young and keep my team kind of like a conveyor belt loaded and, and continuing and producing. Um, but he chose to go and make a move this year. It didn't pay off, yes, but there were also a set of freak injuries that happened, right? Joe Burrow tore his uh, ACL and a billion other ligaments. And, uh, you know, DK, even though he popped off this year, there are some games where he's just quiet, you know? Next year, you know, you can expect in year three, a wide receiver is really, really going to show you what his value is. Deshaun, he's had a down year and he's like the QB six. What's he going to be next year? Uh, Joe Burrow is going to come back healthier, probably with Panay Sewell, right? He's going to have an O-line. What's he going to be? His team still has another one to two year window. And if he ultimately decides Alvin Kamara ain't it, he can move him and he can get some of those picks back. Um, I definitely think that the move that Dustin made was ballsy. And for that, I commend him. Um, I don't think I would have made the the move, but I sure don't knock him for making it. For sure, yeah. Sometimes in fantasy football, you kind of have to make the risky moves if you want to win. Would you have made the move, Leo? <laughs> Putting me on the spot. I I I think given his team and his current situation, where he went into, I think it was like week three or four, and he was undefeated. Um, I probably would have made the move. Uh, you there's a lot of things that you can't predict obviously going into the rest of the season you can't predict injuries you can't uh predict players usage and stuff like that um so given the situation he was in and the information that he had i probably would have made the same move um given alvin kamara hmm. is a top two or three running back this year um that possibly could have helped him make the playoffs you know i totally forgot that when he made the move before the before I think week four it was, um, he was undefeated, right? And like at that point it was I think we had four undefeated teams going into week four, um, which you know that that's arms race time. That's like yo my team is like locked and loaded. I gotta make sure that like I have the most you know ammunition here. Um, so given that context, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense too. You're feeling yourself, go go for it. Yeah. Let's dive into the our next topic here. Um, I think one of the things we want to talk about is the different trades that we make. And the other thing is, okay, now that we're playing Dynasty Fantasy Football, our benches are huge, right? How are you supposed to find waiver wire pickups that help you make a playoff push or actually help you produce? Because obviously this year there were players like that that you know, if you mm -hmm. picked him up, like James Robinson, for example, you probably made the playoffs because of him or you're making a like you made a good push. So how do we find these types of players on the waiver wire? These like undrafted free agents that s just kind of slip under the radar. Yeah, that you know, this is uh, one of those golden questions that they ask you uh, it, across all fantasy, right? Like, how do I know who to pick up on the waiver wire? Um, because it's it's a consistent question that has a moving equation, right? A lot of it has to do with non-quantifiable non things 
but you can develop that unquantifiable sense by looking at some of the quantifiable assets. Now, what, what are all these, you know, random high, you know, level things that I'm talking about? Um, ultimately, Leo and I, uh, you and I talk about this thing called a gut feeling, right? How do I know or have a hunch that someone's going to pop off? Um, and a lot of it is just understanding context around players, right? Um, you mentioned James Robinson. Well, you knew that Leonard Fournette wasn't showing up to camp, and you know that Doug Marone is a guy who's no nonsense. You know that the rest of their running backs weren't really guys that, um, you know, have done anything significant in the NFL. And you also know that there's this rookie coming in. So at that point, right, it's not like you're trading a first for him. It's not like you're trading a starter for him. Uh, you probably picked up James Robinson in any given league because you're like, hey, here's a guy who has the potential to explode. Um, and that's just by taking a look at the situation the player exists in. Um, yeah. So we see players like James Robinson where the opportunity kind of occurs before the year starts. And it's to me, that's a fairly obvious dart throw that you would take is like, okay, this player, there's a player leaving and there's a new player coming in there's obviously a hole in the opportunity there's only 32 starting running back roles in the nfl so you know I, I'm, I'm gonna put some waiver wire budget onto this guy i i think mm -hmm. what's not so obvious is let's say you're halfway through the season or you're like a third yeah. through the season right and there's still players on the waiver wire that could potentially turn into gems how do you decide this and i and, and abby i i kind of want you to walk us through because this year in the superflex express league you picked up robert tunyon i I, mm -hmm. I believe um and he you you got him before his breakout game in atlanta and so kind of walk us through what was that like week four or five something like that i believe that was week three um but walk us through why you picked him up in week two Yeah, you know, the, the beginning of the season feels like forever ago. My gosh. Um, well, I mean, Leo, you're you're a huge Packers fan, right? So by nature of, you know, just talking to you, I think I've kind of started following Green Bay a little bit more um, and trying to understand, you know, what is Matt LaFleur doing in order to help Aaron Rodgers, right? You've probably got two to three more years of Aaron Rodgers. Um, and... We've known about this guy named Jay Sternberger. We've known about this guy that they drafted, Jose DeGuara. Um, we know that they had Jimmy Graham. And, like, at best, these guys performed as, like, low-level tight end threes, right? Like, none of these tight ends were capable starters. Um, when given, you know, snap counts, they weren't doing anything with it. Which really meant that the moment anybody shows up and does something semi-productive, they're going to be the starter. And if someone is semi-productive and becomes the starter, that means they're going to get more snaps. And that means that there's going to be more opportunity for them to remain the starter. Um, and I think if I remember correctly, when I took a look at the tight end situation um, for the Packers in week one, they drafted uh, Jose Deguara, and he played like a very, very few number of snaps. Um, but this guy named Rob Tanyan was getting like 
30 to 60% of the snap count. And he was catching balls. He was getting targets, but it wasn't anything substantial. I think it was in the realm of like two to five targets, right? Um, each game, he was catching some and he was scoring touchdowns. Um, but many times at the beginning of the season, people are so enamored with, you know, oh my God, Christian McCaffrey, first game, put up, you know, 35 points. Whoa, first game, you know, Tom Brady looks horrible in this offense. Um, people aren't really paying attention to the waiver wires. And what I was taking a look at was, okay, Robert Tanyan is this guy with a super, super capable quarterback, uh, a quarterback that elevates tight ends, a quarterback that, you know, has had Jermichael Finley and done really well, has done something with the carcass known as Jimmy Graham, right? And nobody's stepping up, but this guy is getting opportunities, a guy I've never heard of. And as his snap counts are going up and his production is going up, uh, you know, he has a lot of potential. And on my team in Superflex Express, I didn't, I mean, I had Tyler Higbee um, and Hayden Hurst. Uh, eh, you know, like we thought they were going to do something, but eh. So might as well pick up another guy and hey, if he outperforms Tyler Higby, then great, we have a starter. Um, th- you know, those are, those are all the components I was taking a look at. But I think one of the other kind of unsung things is hearing about what these guys do in their free time. And that, that sounds like a super, you know, generic thing to say. But in the offseason, when you hear reports that this guy named Bob Tanyan is working out with George Kittle, Oh, okay. I mean, I don't know what they talk about. I don't know what they learn about. Hell, they could be picking up 15-pound dumbbells and hanging out. It could be nothing substantial. But you hear the name association and you think, can some of that rub off? Um, And all of those things just led to me saying, you know what? He's worth dropping Donovan Peoples-Jones. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. You're basically taking all of these little data points that you found. You don't know for sure that this guy is going to hit. But you're taking a bunch of little data points and making an educated guess, right? Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, not all of your educated guess guesses are going to hit. Um, but the more that you, like, take all of these data points into account when you pick up people mm-hmm. off the waiver wire, the better chance you have at making a hit. And so I, I kind of yeah. want to dive into... Um, one of the misses that you had, which was uh, Dearness Johnson. Because when I watched the game um, of him when Nick Chubb got injured, um, mm-hmm. he looked pretty good. He he was running with conviction. He was making good cuts. Um, can you walk us through when you picked up Dearness Johnson, what was going through your head? So for full context, I'm a Nick Chubb owner. Um, and when you own Nick Chubb and you see Nick Chubb get hurt, you're losing a huge part of the production of your team. Um, and I was a little desperate. I was like, well, shit, you know, these guys run with Nick Chubb and they run with Kareem Hunt and they're both getting pretty significant, uh, touches, you know? So it's clear that they're using two RBs, um, this Dearness Johnson guy seems to be the RB3 on that team. And in the short amount of time that he played against Dallas's defense, I think he had five rushes, 95 yards. That's really, really good performance, right? And so given that my starting running back was on the IR, I was trying to claw for any type of production that I could find. And I said, you know what? These guys are probably going to run with 
two running backs still. Why wouldn't they? Um, and when I was looking at the snap counts, I was like, okay, there's a lot of opportunity for Dearness Johnson to take Kareem Hunt's role and then for Kareem Hunt to take Nick Chubb's role. Um, I'll just say that this was one of my biggest whiffs. Uh, this one did not pan out. Um, I actually missed some information um, at the beginning of the year that also guided my decision-making. Um, I thought Kareem Hunt was going to be out of Cleveland next year um, because he was on a two-year deal, but I missed the piece of information where he signed a two-year extension uh, in September or August or some sometime at the beginning of the season. Um, and, you know, given that, um, a lot of the value that I thought I was going to get out of Dearness Johnson uh, didn't realize itself. Um, I don't think Dearness Johnson ever got five carries in a game after that Dallas game. It all went to Kareem Hunt. And, you know, using the same logic, snap count, potential, situation, um, this, the same framework didn't pan out. Um, and I was left with a, a third string running back and no fab. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I think kind of summarize, like, not all pickups off the waiver wires work out the way you want them to. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's important, though, that... So you mentioned that you're spending the fab money... Um, and now after you picked up Dearness Johnson, you didn't have any fab money. I'm assuming that you spent a lot of your fab money on him. Yep. Well, you know, let's, if I were to explain how many dollars I spent on Bob Tanyan versus how many I spent on Dearness Johnson, I think on Robert Tanyan, I spent like 15 bucks. On Dearness Johnson, I spent the rest of my total. I think it was like 780 bucks um, because I was just that sure. And I also was just that wrong. And this is out of $1,000, right? uh, Out of a $1,000 fab budget. So it just goes to show you that, like, you know, at the end of the day, these waiver wire pickups are guesses. They're lottery tickets. And sometimes they pan out and sometimes they don't. And the amount of money that you spend on acquiring a player doesn't always translate. Definitely. Yeah. And I know this is kind of a completely separate topic, but when you go into it and you're spending like $700 on Dearness Johnson at the beginning of the year because you think he has some opportunity, I think these are reasonable bets to make because at the beginning of the year, there are more players on the waiver wire that have the potential to pop off. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, risking like your fab money at the end of the year is worth nothing. No one's, no one's giving you draft picks for it. Right. Um, So, Spending all of your fab money for during an opportunistic time is is a good strategy. It's like what those announcers say. Those timeouts don't do you any good at home, right? <laughs> Use them during the game. Uh, yeah. It's the same thing with the, with the fab money. The, the same week that I picked up Dearness Johnson, I picked up Tim Patrick for 250 bucks. Um, so, you know... It, it's all about making sure that if you think someone has the potential to hit and you have a need for that on your team, take a shot. Yeah. And honestly, it's if you if you hit on one or like at max two of these waiver wire guys in a, a single league year, if you if you got James Robinson, you're probably doing pretty well. You're probably pretty happy with that pickup. Mhm. Yeah. So o- over time you just kind of like build and develop 
the gut feeling based on different articles you read yeah like different like looking at the snap counts mm-hmm. the targets and stuff like that and, um and you know you don't i don't think you have to end up being one of those people that's like always on twitter always reading you know the the beats and whatnot if you're just someone who pays semi-attention to the players that you have on your own team um, you'll build up an intuition for this. And a lot of my intuition was derived from understanding my own team's composition and understanding where in the league there was opportunity for new players to be acquired. I'm not trying to pick up guys at the top of their, their craft. I'm trying to pick up guys um, you know, for cheap uh, that will have a lot of ascension in their value. Yeah, there's a kind of a push in the fantasy football community to be super analytics-focused um, and say like, oh, this player has like his breakout ages blah 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 he's has this many snaps percentage blah 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 um and that's why he's going to be the next like good waiver wire pickup and i think for a normal person this is not super accessible you can probably follow people like this on twitter and follow their advice but if you're a normal person trying to build up your kind of gut intuition going into a waiver wire pickup um you don't have the time necessarily i would say to go through that entire process so yeah you're 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 right pretty much you don't have to follow twitter super closely um just looking at going through this exercise of looking at all the different data points um looking at the snap percentage looking at different news articles that come out about this team um looking at the coach's usage of different players um is enough to make a mostly educated decision in fantasy football at least yeah i think i think that's a really good way to go about it um ultimately when you're trying to build a gut feeling it all comes from putting yourself out there um and taking chances um and so the moment you see Cortland sutton go down go and grab a denver wide receiver who knows they might pop off So that wraps up our second episode of the Breakout Podcast. Hope you enjoyed. I'm your host, Leo Xia, and this is my co-host, Abhi Gupta. Let's hit the music.